0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, and
1: welcome to the final Money and Markets episode of 2021. What a year! Um, I'm Laura Suter, and on this final podcast, we've packed a year's worth of content in We wanted to look back at what the year brought for investors, but also have a little sneak peek forward into what 2022 might bring for us too. So we've rounded up some of the top fund managers in the UK to talk about their best stock picks for next year, which will hopefully give everyone some inspiration. And joining me today is Dan Coatsworth.
2: Hi there. So we're also going to be looking at the best and worst performing investment trusts this year, And later on, we'll look ahead to what we think 2022 might bring for investors, particularly on areas like dividends.
1: But before we dive into that year in review, I think we should have a look at what markets have been doing over the past week. Tom Siebert is also with us this week. So Tom, what's the latest with the new Omicron variant and its impact on markets?
3: Yeah, thanks, Laura. So for now, investors seem to be taking the news of Omicron in their stride, really. So we did see a big sell-off at the end of November, um, which was the FTSE 100's worst day of 2021. But subsequently, the markets quite quickly regained their poise. Um, but there have just been some signs in the last few days that concerns about this new strain of COVID are are starting to build in the markets again. And I guess that's inevitable, given you know we've seen some pretty grim recent headlines. Um, the the fact that there's clearly some urgency around this booster campaign, and 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 obviously overnight. As we record this, um, the UK government moved towards Plan B in England. Um, <clears throat> a difficulty we've got, I suppose, is that we don't know, or there's a lot we don't know about um, Omicron and exactly what impact it might have at this point. So, you know, it seems clear that it spreads more rapidly, but given there's always a lag between infections and hospitalizations, we don't know if it's going to threaten to overwhelm the health service and therefore necessitate stricter restrictions um, or even a return to lockdown. So... Uh already, though, there have been signs that hospitality businesses in the UK are, are starting to feel the pinch. Um, you know, anecdotally, plenty of Christmas parties have been cancelled. And even speaking from personal experience, we just had to downscale a, a birthday meal for our eldest because of the new guidance in Scotland about restricting social mixing. So, um, you know, it is it is beginning to have have an impact. And there are signs of a broader impact on consumer sentiment, too. I mean, I, I thought it was notable that Curry's warned of, of weaker recent sales this week. Um, if we look at sort of the sectors that are most exposed, they're, they're the fairly obvious ones. But looking back um, since the, the sell-off on the 26th of November, the worst performing sectors um, in the London market have been aerospace, travel and leisure, um, which is linked, obviously, to the travel restrictions and, and the disruption to hospitality we've already discussed. And banks, um, given you know, expectation for, for interest rates, have, have been pushed back. Um, and we can probably expect that trend to continue or even accelerate if if Omicron does cause more severe disruption on the other hand, and I suppose trying to take the sort of more positive view if if it turns out that things aren't quite as bad as feared, those sectors are likely to rally
1: um so elsewhere, acadodo had an update out this week which had quite a lot to pick over, so it showed a slowdown in sales but also winning a legal battle about robots. Dan what's going on
2: yeah, so acardo won a major victory in a patent infringement battle with uh, the Norwegian company Autostore. So that prompted Ocado's shares to jump by about 10% in a day. Um, you know, it's it kind of good. It's also it was actually helped make up for what was a disappointing fourth quarter trading update from Ocado's joint venture with Marks & Spencers. Um, but I think you know, the, the key news here for investors is that this, this legal case Uh, which dates back to last year, an auto store said it would sue Ocado for infringing its technology patents. Um, Also, it's trying to sort of get courts to to sort of ban the imports of Ocado robots into the US. And if you just think that, you know, Ocado uses robots in its warehouses to pick customer orders, and it licenses that sort of technology to people like the US um, grocery firm, Kroger, and others around the world. And, you know, if it had... Uh, if it was told it couldn't uh, do more of this business in the U S that would have been pretty um, sort of very negative for its growth plans. Um, So what's actually happened is, you know, the international trade commission has looked at this and it's ruled that three out of four autostore patents were actually invalid. A fourth hadn't been infringed and then autostore actually dropped a fifth patent claim the night before the trial. So, so the the next step is that whilst um, Ocado sort of has won so far, Autostore is going to appeal this, and we'll get a judgment next April. Um, but really, you, know, it, it, you know, to see a 10% jump in a Cardo share price is quite interesting because actually, the, you know, if you take a look at it over the whole of this year, they've actually been drifting downwards. They've, I think the, the market's just been a bit disappointed with the pace of winning uh, these new technology clients. Because if you think about it, the, the pandemic has made us uh, realize you know, the much more importance of, all, of being able to order uh, food and drink online. So really, if you're a grocery company anywhere in the world and you haven't got a good online platform, now should be the point at which you, you're sort of making that investment. Therefore, acardo should theoretically have been seeing lots of new business opportunities. But yeah, unfortunately, we're just still waiting for these sort of big contracts to sort of appear.
3: I mean, one of the things Ricardo said, I think, isn't isn't it that they haven't been able to strike those deals because of the pandemic because they haven't been able to sort of, you know, meet potential customers in person. I think that's that's one of the things they've said. But, you know, whether or not that's just an excuse.
2: Yeah, I think I think they know how to log on to Zoom and have a chat with someone. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> I think we all know how to do that by now. Yeah, all too well.
1: So let's stick with what happened this year before we look ahead to next year. So with Investment Trust Dan you've been sifting through and looking at the trusts that knocked it out of the park this year and those that barely made it off the starting blocks um which is a bit of a confused metaphor but anyway let's start with the positive ones which trusts did well
2: yeah, so the the best one actually nearly doubled in price. It's not really a household name when it comes to investment trusts, but it was Geiger Counter, and it achieved a 97% return this year. This trust invests in uranium mining companies, and um, now they've done particularly well thanks to a big spike in the uranium price, and that's all linked with a supply and demand imbalance for the commodity. In second place was the Chelverton Growth Trust, up 82%, and that invests in small-cap businesses. And in third place is Vietnam Holding. Um, so, as as you might imagine from the name, invest in Vietnamese companies. And What we've seen here is that Vietnam's economy has really sort of undergone a sort of transformation in the last couple of years. It used to be seen as just like an alternative to China for garment and textile manufacturing, but now it's, it's sort of moved into higher added value and sort of much more tech products as well. Um, so, but you know, if we're talking about uh, you know the investment trust universe is you know, to give a bit of balance i 'll just just let you know about the worst performing investment trust as well d p aircraft one gets the wooden spoon down seventy four percent now obviously it 's not been a good year to be involved in the aviation business and you know and aircraft leasing is definitely uh, not being very profitable for that. Fat business. Um, second place was the biotech growth trust down 27%. And in third, was it a really interesting one was Bailey Gifford China Growth Trust. If you go back to 2020, Bailey Gifford was the asset manager that was literally at top of nearly all the performance tables. This year hasn't been as good for the business, and in particular with this one. China has been um, sort of imposing really strict um, regulations on lots of different industries and that's really hurt sort of share prices across the board in China so so really any sort of china uh, sort of focused fund has had pretty tough time in 2021 so there's
1: quite a lot of niche areas in there, but this, does this give us any pointers to what might do well or not so well next year?
2: Well, a lot of people say whatever's done bad one year is what you should look at for the next year as a sort of a, either sort of a rebound. But I, I think it's... yeah. I, uh, to me, you know, uh, if you go to the top performer Geiger counter, uranium price is pretty unpredictable. I think, um, you know, I, I've written about the commodity space for a long time, and um, for most of that, uranium was definitely not flavor of the month. So um you know small caps uh yeah there's a lot of people talking about small caps so in terms of second place Chelverton growth trust there you know the general consensus is that small caps could have a quite a good year next year but e- equally you know these are just sort of um opinions from different experts we're not giving any financial advice here um but you know, in terms of uh the perhaps the losers the biotech growth trust being down 27 is quite interesting because i think that, a bit like we were talking about cardo, that the backdrop is favourable. You would have thought the biotech backdrop is favourable. You know, we still have a pandemic, and people realise there's got to be lots of money invested in drugs. Maybe it just takes a very long time uh, to, to see um, positive results uh, in the sort of the biotech and pharma space when you're, you're trying to develop a new drug. And of course, the, the success rate is actually quite low as well. Um, so you know, perhaps they've just been putting the money in, 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 in just companies that just had a run of bad luck. But um, I certainly think the healthcare space is, is definitely one to to watch a bit closely next year, given um, there should be you know a decent amount of money being invested in sort of new drugs across lots of different areas.
1: So every December, Dan and his team speak to a lot of experts about their experiences over the past twelve months and also their views for the year ahead.
2: Yeah, that's right. So as part of the work this time around, we asked a handful to comment on stocks which they considered to have good prospects for 2022. Now, there's some really interesting views from a broad range of managers covering both UK and overseas stock markets. Now, you may know some of these names, others might not be familiar to to, to many people. But the first fund manager that we're going to hear from is Abby Glennie from the ASI UK Midcap and ASI UK Opportunities Funds. Now, she's selected a company called Big Technologies. Now, I must confess, I know very little about this stock, apart from it does remote people monitoring, mainly in the criminal justice market. So let's hear what Abby has to say about that stock.
4: Big Technologies is a business we believe has really bright prospects for 2022 and beyond. Big Technology is listed in recent months and it's the global leader in electronic monitoring. It's led by the founder Sarah Murray and she also founded Confuse.com. They have market leading technology and operate in an industry where there's a really strong potential to disrupt incumbents who often only hold their position due to being part of larger services businesses. The reliability of the big technology's product drives a much better outcome for both the offenders and also for the welfare authorities, whereby compliance improves, the quality of the experience is better and the cost of tagging and monitoring individuals is lower due to fewer faults and a really simple to implement product. The company already has contracts in a range of countries around the world, and we believe that these provide revenue visibility, as they will repeat, and that the company will continue to win lots of new work. And then complementary to this is also the opportunities to use the technology in health and care markets.
2: So, big technologies floated at two quid and now it's trading at 285. So, the market is obviously impressed with this story. Um, But another name that might be new to listeners is Japan's Yaskawa, which makes servos, motion controllers, and industrial robots. Now, we've had Simon Edelston from the Artemis Global Select Fund on the podcast before, and he's quite an expert in Asian companies. So I'll let him now explain why he's looking at that space uh, and why he's sort of highlighted as Yaskawa as a stock to look for for next year.
5: Looking forward to 2022, uh, economies still are, are not fully recovered. They're not fully out of lockdown at this stage. Uh, but over the next year we expect um, some of the blockages to uh, be resolved. Um, Inflation probably to carry on being around but companies to carry on investing for the future and this will really suit our automation theme. Inside the Artemis Global Select Fund and the Midwind Investment Trust one of our largest themes is automation and we invest around the world in uh, companies both in the robotics space and also um, factory automation Um, and artificial intelligence. Um, Most of these companies have seen extremely good orders coming in. They just haven't been able to fulfill the orders because the economy has been locked down and because of supply chain issues trying to complete the orders. Uh, But over the next 12 months, we imagine that companies like Yaskawa in Japan, which is the world's second biggest robot maker, or Cognex in America, which is one of the world's leading makers of sensors, for factory automation, for advanced factory automation, which both gets your productivity up and also gets your product quality up. These are the sorts of businesses which should see uh, increased investment as businesses, as industry plans for the future and invest for the future.
2: So I think it's really interesting to hear Simon talk about Yesco. I, I remember interviewing him probably three or four years ago, and he had actually said that a lot of the easy money had already been made in robotic stocks, and that it was... Perhaps you know a really obvious theme, so therefore, you know, investors should look elsewhere because all the easy money's been made. But Yasko's share price tripled in 2017, then lost most of those gains over the subsequent year. Since then, it's fought back and the shares are now close to an all-time high. So I'm just wondering if the pandemic has made the automation theme a lot more interesting to companies, particularly as they're experiencing wage inflation and the pressure is on to cut costs.
3: Now we're going to hear from a manager who has a focus on income, um, and that's Thomas Moore from the ASI Income Focus Fund, and he's highlighted commodities trader and miner Glencore for 2022.
2: Glencore produces some of the key commodities that go into electric vehicles, and this will support demand for these commodities in 2022 and beyond. These include copper, zinc, nickel and cobalt. At the same time, supply across the industry is remaining constrained, and that is because there has been a lack of new investment in new mines. As a result, we expect commodity prices to be well supported and Glencore is ideally positioned to benefit from that. The shares are very cheap, with a free cash flow yield of over 20%. It's
3: interesting to hear Thomas highlight Glencore, at least in part thanks to its exposure to the Green Revolution and demand for metals required for electric vehicles and renewables infrastructure. Um, particularly given the context where you've had activist investor Bluebell recently on record as pushing for Glencore to sell its much less green thermal coal unit.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think mining and oil companies um you know they've come up, come under a lot of criticism in recent years about um you know being polluters and sort of anti-ESG but I I think this year we've still seen people turn around and say actually there's there's still a lot of value in them. They're still they still have a really big relevance in the world. So yeah, I, 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 you know, whilst we've had a massive surge in commodity prices this year, I think there's still going to be a lot of investor interest for 2022 in this space. So next up, we've got Michael O'Brien from Fundsmith Emerging Equities Trust. Now he is following the same investment process as Terry Smith who runs the popular Fundsmith Equity Fund. But um, Michael instead is just focusing on emerging markets. So let's hear what he's got to say about stock called PB Fintech.
6: At Fundsmith, we rarely buy IPOs, but earlier this year we bought a stake in PB FinTech, which operates a policy bazaar platform in India. Reflecting an environment more receptive to investment, India has seen a marked uptick in its IPO market, and a number of fintech businesses are coming to market. With the sector benefiting from a high pool of highly skilled, technologically literate graduates, as with a number of businesses we own in India and across the fund as a whole. PB is well placed to benefit from population growth, increased incomes and changing purchasing habits. And the sector in which a business operates is forecast to grow at an annual compound rate of around 20% over the course of this decade. Policy Bizarre is the largest online distributor of life and health insurance to retail customers in India. And since inception in 2008, it has increased its share of the overall insurance product market to 7%. And its share of the online segment is 65%. Its operationally geared business model places it in good stead to grow returns strongly, especially given that revenue growth has averaged 35% over the last three years in spite of the pandemic.
3: I'm sure Fintech is in that category of stock that very few UK investors will have heard of. but And, and it's certainly one that I'm not familiar with. Um, And in a way, I guess this shows the value of fund managers, particularly in areas like emerging markets, where they can really earn their fees by snaffling out these kind of stock picking opportunities. Next, we're going to hear from Charles Luke from the Murray Income Trust on Inchcape, which, um, as Charles is about to explain it, it's more than just a simple car retailer.
6: Uh, One stock in the portfolio with bright prospects for next year is uh, Inchcape. Uh, Firstly, I think the company's distribution business is of a higher quality the market gives the company credit for, uh, given its high return on capital, close customer relationships and attractive margins. Um, and then secondly, I think the growth potential of the business is also not widely understood um, with exposure to high growth markets, uh, distribution consolidation opportunities, uh, the ability to increase aftermarket profits, uh, potentially larger MA activity, given the company's strong balance sheet, um, with all of that accompanied by an attractive dividend yield and a modest PE multiple.
2: The car sector's had such a good year, isn't it? So I know we've had a takeover offer for Marshall Motor. Uh, there was that big stock market debut for Kazoo in the States. You know, it just seems that all these companies are coming out with good news. So, you know, one has to wonder, you know, can it keep going? You know, have we actually now seen the best of days, uh, you know, certainly in the near term for that sector?
3: Absolutely, yes. And um next up, we've got Anna McDonald from Amati and she's going to discuss Ascensus, which joined the stock market in 2019, but has really seen its share price explode into life in 2021.
0: 2022 is shaping up to be particularly exciting in terms of the potential to deliver growth in the flexible office workspace. A company we've followed since their IPO in 2019 is Ascensus. We met management several times and bought shares in their placing early in 2021. The pandemic has served to accelerate the move to flexible working and the need for landlords to accommodate changing needs. The Ascensus platform enables landlords to deliver effective IT services to their tenants without those tenants having to employ IT personnel. I went to visit their London offices and one of their clients in November, and this confirmed that there is really a rapid shift Accelerated by COVID-19, amongst some of the world's largest landlords, those landlords such as JAL and Tishman Speyer are moving towards providing flexible working space, and these landlords are early clients of the census. Landmark, the client I went to see, showed that really they find a census's products. Uh, extremely useful, and every two three years they go around and do some due diligence on other potential providers, and none of them match up to a census. So we think this is a great company.
3: It certainly looks to be the case that flexible and hybrid working um, is going to be part of the future for many businesses, and it will be interesting to see in that context if a census can sustain its recent momentum as we move into twenty twenty
2: two. Yeah, and so now for our final fund manager, we've got Stephen Yu from the blue whale growth fund now he's made quite a name for himself in recent years i know blue whale has done very well um steven is a big fan of tech stocks and he's now going to chat about nvidia so i'll let him explain exactly what the company does you might not have
7: heard of the company but the chances are you're already a regular user of one of the many services that it provides and Applications such as video app recommendations on TikTok, grammar checks in Word online, and even augmented reality shopping experience on Facebook, most of these applications are being powered by the GPU produced by NVIDIA. And the other aspect to this is we have seen an acceleration in terms of the adoption of NVIDIA's product in data processing by the major cloud service providers, such as Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, and Microsoft Azure. And increasingly looking ahead to the next few years, we expect with the penetration of artificial intelligence slash data processing, analytics, recommendations, and the augmented reality or virtual reality that's been talk about by Facebook in terms of the metaverse and also 5G which is increasing the internet speed or the how we get data dissimulated at really fast speed across driver's car, across internal things We strongly feel that NVIDIA is very well positioned to capture these opportunities
1: so I hope you found that interesting. It's always good to hear from fund managers about such a diverse range of
2: stocks. Yeah, we're going to get some of them back on the podcast in the first week of January, um, possibly get some other ones, people as well, to talk about the biggest disappointments in 2021. So make sure you don't miss that show.
1: But for now, if we continue to look ahead to next year, um, I think we should chat a bit about expectations for markets and particularly for dividends in 2022. Tom, why don't you kick off with your thoughts on kind of inflation and interest rates, because they seem to be the key factors that are going to be determining which way markets go next year.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So as we speak, we've just had UK figures out showing the highest rate of inflation in a decade. Um, and obviously the emergence of, of Omicron has made things a bit more complicated for the Bank of England in terms of lifting interest rates, which would you know, be the obvious way of, of it addressing rising prices. And that's far from a UK you know, only problem that the pent up demand and supply chain issues that resulted from the pandemic have created a global surge in inflation worldwide. If we do see rising interest rates, which seems likely sort of at some point, um, then it t- isn't typically good news for stocks as it, it lifts the, the kind of implied returns from lower risk assets like cash and bonds and, and therefore makes shares a bit less attractive in relative terms. There is the question of how much, just how much leeway central banks have to raise rates, um, given a lot of governments have very substantial debts, um, which they took on as they look to respond to COVID. The best scenario, looking at it from a market perspective, is probably that the inflationary sort of pressures we're seeing start to ease, but the economy does continue to grow, even if the growth is a little bit more modest than we've seen in 2021 as, as economies re- rebounded from the pandemic. And... If we see this scenario, you might see a bit of a return to form for growth stocks. Um, investors tend to be willing to pay up for these type of companies when, um, which can grow their earnings fast, whatever the economic backdrop, when when growth slows a bit. If we see inflation and economic growth at the same time, then it might be the reverse. It might be value stocks that do well as people realise they can get access to growth through much cheaper stocks. Um, probably the, the kind of absolute worst case scenario for the markets is that we see slowing growth and inflation at the same time. Um, that's often referred to as stagflation. And arguably, there aren't too many parts of the market which would be expected to perform well if if this if this transpires. Yeah, I think uh,
2: there seems to be an expectation that you know, we, we had a fairly good year for returns for equities in 2021. And perhaps we might not get as generous returns next year um but with you know if you look at a total return which is where you know you look at the the gains or losses you have with the share price and the dividends that you might have collected um it does seem that dividends are going to make up a bigger proportion um of your overall total return and um and i i just think that um you know, investors are going to be looking to see how companies are allocating their money. Because on one hand, you know, we have seen loads of share buybacks recently. Um, and so perhaps shareholders are saying, well, you know, perhaps rather than sort of doing that, you know, perhaps you want to put some cash in our pocket. Or um, you know, should companies actually be investing more money in their business and taking a longer term view and thinking, well, if we, we you know, perhaps spend more money on capital expenditure, we'll get greater returns down the line.
1: Yeah, and we've um, just done some research on dividends, kind of looking ahead to next year, um, looking at the FTSE 100. Um, and what we're seeing there is is dividend growth is expected to continue, but it's going to be much slower than this year. So what we saw this year was a 32% increase um, in dividend payouts among FTSE 100 companies when compared to Um, the previous year. Now, obviously, that's coming from a lower base, because we had that kind of dividend income drought uh, last year. Um, But what we're going to see next year is dividends continue to grow across the whole index, um, but by a much slower rate. So we're looking at about 2% is the estimate of of how much dividends are going to grow by. Um, And I think Within that, there's obviously industries that are going to do much better and, and those that aren't. So um, the mining industry particularly, which forms quite a big part of the dividends in the FTSE 100, um, those are expected to have, quite a few of those groups are expected to have a decline in dividends. So um, things like Anto, Bagasta, Evraz, um, companies like that are expected to not do so well. Um, do you want to know what the bigger dividend growth stocks are going to be, Dan?
2: I would like to know yeah that is quite interesting.
1: Uh, So Glencore which we talked about earlier um, one of the fund managers was talking about uh, that's meant to see the largest dividend growth by um, by monetary amount Uh, and then we've got kind of a lot of the usual so Shell, um, HSBC, Lloyds and then Flutter Entertainment um, is also going to be one of the biggest growers in terms of um, monetary terms of dividend growth.
2: Well it's that's they are quite interesting isn't it because you realize how sort of dominant those miners are in terms of the Adel FTSE 100 dividends that are being paying out and um you know but actually I, you know, i've been looking at some other places so there's some comments from the bank of america perhaps looking at the u.s market they reckon that dividends are going to be really good next year you know speeding up and they're sort of making the point that last year coming coming out of the pandemic companies are still a bit cautious about their dividends because you know, there was still some sort of lingering uncertainty about what was going on. But, of course, when we saw that the vaccines have been rolling out and at that time life was going back to normal, um, you know, it, it does seem that as companies look to 2022, there is an argument to say actually they, they've got greater confidence. Um, yes, I know that we're seeing the Omicron variant at the moment, but I think companies, when they set their decisions for how much money they'll be paying, they, they're they not thinking about it in the next month or two months. They're thinking much longer term. So um, there is this argument to say that we'll have, get much greater dividends here. And Now, Bank of America is actually suggesting that in the U.S. dividends could grow twice as fast as earnings per share in the year.
1: No. So that's, I like a rosier view. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at New Year, I always like to play a game of best and worst, which is usually summing up the best and worst parts of everyone's year, which is more fun than it sounds right now. But anyway, let's do it for markets this year in a very investment geeky way. So, Dan, what was the best investment story of the year for you, and also the worst?
2: Well, okay, I do. I do. Let's start with the best then. So, this is this was perhaps best. I, I classify it as best because it was the biggest surprise to me. And actually, it's probably a very big surprise to market because the shares are up 74% this year. And that's Marks and Spencer. Um, You know, I just think that at the start of the year, no one was predicted this would be one of the best performing stocks of the year. And, you know, yes, we've had a few uh, fund managers say for quite a few years it's cheap. Um, But, you know, we've had, it's always been in turnaround mode and never really getting anywhere. But what we've seen is the company come out twice. Saying it's doing way better than expected, and that's prompted really big increases to earnings forecasts. And of course, that's driven that share price. Um, food has been the company's savior, but you know, there are some hopes it's finally sorting out the clothing business, it's it's sort of reducing its ranges, finally realizing it doesn't need to sell 75 different types of jeans. Um <laughs> 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 um, uh, you know fewer suits and more athleisure so i know laura you've been buying your um your track suits and uh and, you know, and your gold chains and stuff there haven't you
1: <laughs> always but i've always been doing that i've actually reached the age now where i think Marks and spencer's clothes are really good but like <laughs> <Yeah>. the
3: shameful <laughs>
2: yeah um but uh, let, let me come back to the bad one let's t- tom why don't you do your good news uh one as well
3: yeah, so without getting too worthy about this question, I think the best story or the most encouraging one is how well Home REIT has done this year. So it's an investor in properties which provide accommodation for a variety of vulnerable groups. And that includes women escaping domestic violence and, and people facing homelessness. It listed at the back end of last year, um, but it's, it has done very well this year. And I think it's it's a really great example of where a business is genuinely doing some good. Um, um, yeah, it's not it's not an entirely altruistic Exercise obviously it derives inflation-linked rent payments from local authorities, which themselves are backed by the Department of Work and Pensions. Um, but it's it's kind of a win-win scenario because the accommodation it, it's offering is often cheaper than other temporary alternatives like hotels and beds and bre- bed and breakfasts.
2: What about your bad story then, Tom? What what what's the one that sort of made your made you angry? Shout at the computer. <laughs> yeah, so this the, the worst <laughs> for me. It stuck in the craw
3: a little bit. Um, was the spectacle of the boss of one of the world's largest companies running a Twitter poll for his followers on whether or not it should sell his shares. Uh, Um,
1: Yes, I hoped this one would come
3: up. (laughs) I mean, we all know that Elon Musk does things differently at Tesla, and, and maybe that's one of his strengths, but leaving one of his kind of major decisions to the whim of social media just doesn't feel like it's on. And it might have provoked laughs and raised a smile in some quarters, but it's no way to run a public company. And, you know, there's plenty of people who are invested in Twitter and it's, it's shortchanging ordinary shareholders. And I, I, on the whole, sort of found it a bit of a depressing story, really.
1: And, Dan, what got you angry this
2: year? Well, there's this little company called Mode, a financial technology company. Um, it came out and said it was working with Boots, Homebase, and Akado on a scheme to offer shoppers cash back in Bitcoin. Um, and it was like, first of all, I thought it was a strange concept. And then it's it basically said, um, you know, these retailers that were named in the press release came all came out and said, uh, we're not involved in this. What's going on? Um, so at one point, the shares in mode were up about, by about 15%. You know, everyone's getting excited. And then on Twitter, the CEO was sort of saying, yeah, yeah, we've actually asked Amazon as well. Of course, that was firing up the share price even more um and so the the, the next day just basically came out with a statement saying um you know we're, we're having to issue a clarification um you know we're not actually working with these people they've pulled out or or something you know sort of fudging <laughs> it um and it was like you're just looking silly and so the the, the share price has basically halved since this sort of uh, talking it up and you know it, i just think this is a classic example of Um, You know, you you need to trust a company, what it tells you. You know, if you're a shareholder, you rely on these statements issued to stock market about what company's doing. And um, this one just looks comical, doesn't it? Really? When you you name all these companies and all of them say, we are not involved um you know it just this is the sort of thing that gives the sort of the the junior stock market a bad reputation and i kind of hoped that they'd all gone away and everyone was behaving nicely but um yeah that definitely gets my wooden spoon of the year award (laughs) yeah well deserved
1: and sticking with the theme of the odder stories of the year jenny owen is here for the final mad money of the year and it's about the millions you could have made if you'd invested in what are probably really silly things
8: Yeah, so courtesy of Market Watch, we're looking at the five uh, really dumb ideas which bought in the moment could have made millions. Now, I have to caveat this by saying that all of these ideas are a bit bonkers. This obviously isn't financial advice and they're all based on the moment they began going viral. So we've likely missed all of these boats. Also, if you're a diehard fan of any of these, sorry if I'm dragging your favorite investment through the mud. First of all, way back in January, we had GameStop after the Wall Street Bets Reddit posts gained attention and the video game retailer's share price were bananas. In the same month, the internet became obsessed with Dogecoin, with Elon Musk stepping in to ramp up the hype on Twitter, and shortly after that. Former President Donald Trump's uh, media group went public without revenue, media content, or a full website. Um, the valuation was based on Trump's previous social media following, and the share price rocketed. Next up, another Shiba Inu-inspired meme cryptocurrency rose through the ranks with the ticker SHIB. And finally, NFTs, which obviously vary hugely in price and exploded in popularity in 2021. Imagining that these were bought in their internet hype and sold at their prime, thanks to MarketWatch's hindsight crystal ball, um, millions could have been made. They reckon that if $100,000 investment had been split between these five, the hypothetical portfolio could now be worth $2.2 2 million dollars. So should you throw all your money into these dumb ideas? It's a no from me personally, but there are probably some rich internet hype followers out there. Definitely. So we just need to create a time machine to go back and invest in all of those things. though. Mm. Perfect. Easily done.
1: And that's everything from us for this year. We really appreciate you all listening, getting in touch, reviewing, and we even appreciate the old complaint that we got this year. It's great that we've got such a good community around the podcast. We'll be back in the new year, refreshed from the Christmas break, full of mince pies, but also full of new ideas for the podcast. But in the meantime, have a great festive period and we will see you in 2022.
0: Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes